Hey everybody, it's great to be with you today. If you're here with us for the first time online, special welcome. My name is Jason Wooliver. I'm the directing pastor here at Crossroads and we're just so glad that you've joined us. Today we're gonna be looking at Luke chapter five, verses one through 11. If you wanna open your Bible to that passage or pull it up on your phone. And let me pray before we dive in. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. Pray that you would now open our hearts to understand what you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we come to the end of this Ping Life message series based on the book by my friend and mentor, Shane Bishop, The Ping Life. And it almost feels like we're ending prematurely because people are really starting to get more and more pings from the Holy Spirit, promptings leading them to do things for God's glory. We've got some ping momentum going on here. But this Lenten series that we're starting next week is going to flow nicely out of this one. We're going to be having a message series called Spirit-Filled Jesus. And we're going to look at the ministry of Jesus through the empowering uh, of the Holy Spirit in his ministry, starting with his baptism, ending with his resurrection, as recorded in the book of Luke. So that'll flow nicely out of the Ping Life message series. But if you have been in a Ping small group, I hope you'll consider keeping that group going uh, through the spring. When you finish the book, just keep meeting. And if you want to follow along with our message series each week, there are some groups that study the message from the previous weekend in their small groups. And the way that works is I preach the message and then we make available a small group study guide for any group leaders that are using that. So if you want to keep your Bing Life group going and use that study guide to lead your group through that, uh, please email leslie at washingtoncrossroads.com so we can give you what you need. But since we're tying things up today, let me just give you a summary, a recap of some of the main points from this series. So when we say ping, we're talking about a transmission released by God to see if a connected Christian can be reached. And this is what we mean when we talk about Galatians 5.25, which says, follow the Spirit's leading in every part of your lives. Not only do we order our lives according to the Spirit-inspired Scripture, but we follow the Spirit's promptings or pings throughout our daily lives. Four things about pings. One, they are initiated by God. They're not just ideas that pop into our mind from our own imagination. They are prompted by the Holy Spirit. They prompt us to action. They call us to do something big or small. Number three, they send us into crisis. Here's the ping. Here's the prompting. Will we do it or will we whiff it and not follow the prompting of the Spirit? And number four, pings can change everything. They can make a little difference or a big difference in big waves in the world. In order to stay ready to hear the daily pings from God, we want to maintain a baseline level of obedience to God based on the historic Christian practices of prayer, worship, giving, serving, Bible study, fellowship, and witnessing to others. And as we do these things, we maintain readiness. 
baseline obedience and we're ready for God to prompt us to do little micro missions based on his promptings or macro missions. So developing a lifestyle of following the pings of the Holy Spirit, it allows us to live lives free from the guilt of not doing enough. We all know we can't do everything in the world that needs to be done. We can't meet every need, win every soul. But God doesn't ask us to do everything. He asked us to live lives of obedience and be available for daily promptings from the Holy Spirit. Last week, I threw out this new concept called a mega ping. I totally made that up. But this is something that drastically changes the course of your life or the world around you. And today we're looking at the mega ping that Jesus used to enlist Simon, whom Jesus called Peter, who would become the leader of the apostles and the early church. Let's walk through this. Verse one, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So this event takes place toward the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. Up to this point, Jesus had been preaching in synagogues in Judea and Galilee as a guest preacher, but then he has gotten thrown out of his home synagogue in Nazareth and they wanted to kill him for some of the things that he was saying as he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's also amassing huge crowds of people because of his healings and exorcisms. For these reasons, we now find him moving his ministry to outdoor preaching to large crowds. By the way, it should be noted that the founder of the Methodist movement John Wesley, when he got filled with the Holy Spirit and started calling people to spiritual awakening and true Christianity, he would go around and guest preach in Anglican churches because he was an Anglican priest in England, but he would get thrown out of those churches. They wouldn't invite him back because he was stirring people up and he was preaching people that they need to repent and really turn to God. So he would start preaching outdoors to anyone who were listening and amassing large crowds. So when we're spirit-filled, sometimes we do things outside of the norm because we want to reach people with the gospel. We do it indoors, we do it outdoors. And I hope that as you're getting more spirit-led and spirit-filled, that you become more willing to do whatever it takes to bring people into the kingdom of God. So here it says that Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee, and the crowds are pressing in, so he decides to preach from one of these boats that's sitting nearby. And so these boats belong to Simon Peter and his brother Andrew and the other one to James and John. Now, fishing was a major industry along the Sea of Galilee. And so these guys were vocational commercial fishermen. This is how they supported their families. And they didn't fish with fishing rods. They used these massive nets that they would throw overboard and haul back in, hoping to swoop fish up into the nets. A very labor-intensive job. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus had met Simon. 
They had first gotten acquainted down at the Jordan River in Judea, where John the Baptist was calling all of Israel to repent of their sins and get baptized as an act of repentance and come back to God and get ready for the Messiah. And so it appears that Simon and Andrew, and probably James and John, were at first disciples of John the Baptist. And then after Jesus was baptized by the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist pointed Jesus out to his disciples, saying, look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I was telling you about. So then we see John's disciples begin to migrate over toward Jesus. In John chapter 1, it says that Andrew went and got his brother Simon and brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus met Simon, he said to him, you are Simon, the son of John but you will be called Cephas or Peter. And that means rock. So when Jesus first met Peter, he looked at him and gave him a new name, the rock. And now Simon Peter obviously hadn't left his day job yet, but he had had a strong impression of Jesus early on. And now they meet again. Verse four, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. You know, I'm currently reading through the Gospel of Luke in my own daily quiet time. And one of the things I felt like the Holy Spirit showed me was this idea of putting out into the deep water for a catch. As I reflected on that, it struck me that too often, we Christians, we swim in the shallow water of the Christian faith. And we wonder why we're not experiencing this abundant life of meaning and significance that Jesus came to bring us. In truth, it's only when we go out into the deeper waters of ancient historic Christianity and fish for life there that we really experience this rich life. In other words, I don't think coming to church or listening to church once or twice a month will allow you to find true satisfaction and meaning in Christ. It's a great starting point, and no one should be shamed for starting the journey with Christ. But we're probably not going to say, this is the most exciting and fulfilling way of life unless we commit ourselves to maintaining this regular baseline obedience to the ancient practices of Christianity and go deeper and deeper into our love relationship with the Word of God and deeper into service and prayer and these great practices. We begin following the promptings of Jesus, and that's when we experience this rich and meaningful, significant life. And Peter, he answers Jesus, his answer is just absolutely golden. He says, we have been out all night and caught nothing. In other words, Jesus, this is what we do for a living. We are professionals. We had a bad day at work. We are tired and ready to go home. We are putting things away for the workday. And we're going to go home and have a snack and take a big nap. But then he says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. You know, many of the pings that we get from the Holy Spirit might seem counterintuitive 
until we act on them. Most of the teachings of Jesus are counterintuitive. That's why they're so revolutionary. It didn't make sense to Peter, based on what he knew from the world and his profession, to go back out and fish in the deeper water at this point. But Jesus said to do it, and so he did it. You know, you may be tired of life not working for you, and it's time to go back to the counterintuitive teachings of Jesus and see if freedom is found there. Maybe you're tired of being angry or holding on to bitterness toward an ex-wife or a former boss, and you need to just do what Jesus taught and forgive let them off the hook and pray for those who make your life difficult. Perhaps you are going into debt from buying things you don't need because you're chasing after things to make you happy. And you just need to follow Jesus's example of simplicity. He said, life is not found in the abundance of possessions. It's found in a rich relationship with God. It's counterintuitive because everyone is chasing an abundance of possessions. Perhaps you're tired of fighting and scraping to get ahead of the pack. And you need to just try adopting Jesus's approach of living life as a humble servant of God. He said, for even the Messiah came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. It's always in following the counterintuitive teachings of the word of God and the promptings of the spirit that we experience the good life and the freedom that Jesus came for us to live. Verse six, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And there's a lot going on here and many applications for us. First, this obviously demonstrates Jesus's power over nature and over the created order. He had already displayed in the Gospel of Luke his power over sickness, his power over demonic forces, and now he's demonstrating his power over nature. Now, some skeptics might say, no, Jesus just knew where the fish were. He had seen them jump, and so he said, go fish out there. But obviously, if the nets were breaking and the boats were sinking, this was an unusual haul of fish. This was a miraculous fish, proving that Jesus, our Jesus, is Lord over the created order. We need to remember this about our Jesus. He's not just our friend and our our um, older sibling in the family of God. He's our Lord, and he's the Lord. It says in the Bible that all things were created by him and for him, and in him all things hold together. But this miracle also demonstrates Jesus' ability to provide for his disciples. After they started following him, a little later, he would multiply five loaves and bread and two fish to feed 5,000 people in one setting. And then he would take seven loaves of bread and multiply that to feed 4,000 people another time. And so Jesus, by doing this preliminary miracle of provision, he was proving to Peter and the other fishermen that if they followed him, he would take care of their needs. In fact, he told everybody that this is what he promised. It says in Matthew 6, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, that he said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, 
and he will give you everything you need. I think this is an important reminder for all of us who are trying to live as fully devoted followers of Christ. Jesus does not preach that we will receive luxury or material possessions if we follow him. He doesn't promise that life will be easy or we won't have to work hard. No, he promises that if we seek his kingdom and the expansion of his kingdom above all else and live lives of righteousness and godliness, that he will give us everything we need. He has all the resources of heaven and earth to provide for us. Maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe he's calling you to just simplify and trust him. Go all in with him and leave the rest in his hands. Verse eight, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So when Simon Peter is exposed to the goodness and the power and the majesty of Jesus, he becomes starkly aware of his own sinfulness before Jesus. Commentators note the similarities between this passage and the passage in Isaiah 6 where the prophet Isaiah was called to service in God's company. It says there, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, which was a classification of angel. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. These are both great scriptural examples of an awakening that we all need to have if we're going to truly follow Jesus. Our eyes need to be wide awake to the goodness and the power and the holiness of God. We also need to become wide awake to our own sinfulness, our own lostness, our own unworthiness to stand in his presence or be in a relationship with him. We are sinful in thought, word, and deed. And apart from his grace, we are toast. But the gospel says, because the gap is so great, but God is so good, Jesus came and lived a life free of sin and then died on the cross to atone for our sins so that through his sacrifice, we who were totally lost can be forgiven our sins, receive his Holy Spirit, adopted into his family, become his sons and daughters and live forever in his presence. People who dedicate their lives to serving God usually do so in response to God's amazing grace. 
They feel so compelled to serve this Lord who is so holy, but loved them so much he would die for them. And they want to tell as many people as possible this good news that saves sinners. Continuing in verse 10, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their nets to land, they left everything and followed him. So Jesus answered Simon's moment of God awareness and self-awareness by casting a grander vision of not catching fish, but catching people. Just as Peter had been catching fish to save his family from starvation, now he'll start capturing souls to save them from eternal damnation. And a great fisher of men he would become. It would take three years of training and some embarrassing blunders. But after Jesus rose from the dead and reinstated Peter and poured out the Holy Spirit upon him, Peter would preach to thousands of people. And when the Holy Spirit hit him on Pentecost, there was a huge harvest of 3,000 souls added to the family of God and baptized as believers. And some commentators say that this catch of fish that Jesus gave Peter when he called him was a precursor to the great catch of fish that Peter would make on Pentecost, fishing not with a net, but with the word of God and the message of the gospel. So there's only a small percentage of Christians that will be called to leave everything to follow Jesus. But we are all called to net people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring them into the eternal family of God. And what is impossible on our own becomes possible with the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Peter obviously couldn't have caught the fish on his own, but what he could do was obey Jesus. And when Peter used what he had and obeyed Jesus' pig, he caught a catch of fish that was supernatural indeed. And when we use what we have and follow the pings of the Holy Spirit, Jesus will do through us abundantly far more than all we could ask or imagine as well. So let me close out this series with four summarizing applications. Number one, is accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Perhaps today, you're realizing for the first time how good and holy and powerful Jesus is. And you're realizing for the first time how sinful and lost you are. Maybe God is pinging you this very day to cross the line of faith and commit yourself to Jesus. Peter had a day of decision here. What was he going to do when he encountered the living God? He decided to leave everything and follow him. And maybe God is calling you to a day of decision to leave your self-focused life, to leave your sin behind and get on your knees and surrender to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Number two is make Christ's mission your mission. You probably won't have to quit your job. And you can accept Christ's call to be a fisher for people right now where you are. Just go ahead and assume that you already are where God wants you to be. But go to work or school or the coffee shop tomorrow with the gospel of Jesus on your mind. See yourself as a fisher of men and women. Look for every opportunity to encourage people toward the gospel of Jesus and invite as many people as you can into the family of God with us. 
Number three is maintain that baseline obedience to Christ. As you've sat with these baseline spiritual practices for the last month, which ones do you need to just step up your game on? Prayer, worship, giving, serving, witnessing, Bible study, fellowship? Whatever area you need to recommit to, Christ is worthy of your recommitment. Show God you are serious. Go all in. And number four is present yourself to Christ for daily pains. Keep reporting to duty every morning. Say, God, lead me where you would today. I am available. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you love us, that you're here with us wherever we are, whenever we're listening or watching. Pray that you would just speak to every heart, that this would be a day of decision for some who hear this sermon at some, some place wherever they see it or hear it. God, I pray that some today would decide to just say to you, I accept you as my Lord and Savior today on this day. I pray that many will adopt your mission as their mission. Pray that everyone would present themselves to you today and always for your daily promptings of the Spirit. And now, Lord, we pray that prayer that unites us with all your people of all time as we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us declare together what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.